you want to go ahead and open your Bibles if you haven't already to 1 Peter chapter 5, we are continuing a study in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 to 4 that was began all the way, we began it all the way back in February and then it ended on March 8th because of the pandemic and then I restarted last week and um, gave a review of great more great detail about 1 Peter and particularly about 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 to 4 and at its core the small section is discussing uh, one of the helps that God has given us in the church for holy living. God's given us a spirit to enable us to do what he's called us to do. He's given us his word but he's also giving us pastors to enable us to do what he's called us to do. And God knows that we need this, every church needs it, and so he's got principles and standards that apply to all ages, continue to apply today, and it's important for Peter, I think, to remind the elders how to lead God's people because elders are human. The leadership of a church is a stressful and difficult undertaking, and under stress and in the midst of hardships, even with elders, the flesh can rear its head and even cause godly men to react badly. And so I think what Peter's done is just a reminder, because he's exhorting the elders, he's reminding them publicly. He didn't write a separate letter to the elders, a, a separate, let's go have a private meeting. This was read publicly, so everyone would know what was going on. So it's specific instruction to elders, but Peter purposely did it publicly so that everyone would understand what's going on. And I think these standards and principles are something you can use to evaluate your elders, and if appropriate, you can point out to your elders if they're falling short, this is what God's Word says. So when we went through this last week, and I was trying to summarize several teachings from many months ago, I was summarizing that there are principles for effective church leadership from this text. And I finally, after I finished my teaching, I realized there's going to be eight, but we've already covered five, so I'm going to speed through those again. We're not going to rehash them all, but I'm going to read the text. I'm going to remind you what those first five were, and then the new material is covering those last three. Peter says this, Therefore... I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Principles of effective leadership that we covered so far first was multiple elders. Peter uses a plural form, and you look at other letters in the New Testament, and it seems clear that God's intention is not for one man to run a church, but for there to be a plurality, a multiple group of elders to lead. We also saw that there should be humble elders. Peter modeled this because while he is an apostle and he introduced the letter as an apostle and he could have lectured the elders, he identified with them. He said, I'm one of you, a fellow elder. And he called attention 
to one of his most difficult failures. He didn't specifically state it, but when he talks about witnessing the sufferings of Christ, he witnessed them, but as we recall, it was at that moment where he had his greatest personal failure. The man that said, they all depart, I won't deny Jesus. But he didn't hesitate to point back to that moment as just saying, I'm one of you, I understand. Also, I mentioned a third was focused elders. Shepherd the flock of God among you. In other words, our job is not to tend all the sheep everywhere. We deal with those sheep allotted to us. We need to focus on our churches, not everyone else's problems. Fourth, there needs to be willing elders. Not under compulsion voluntarily. In other words, you've got a desire to be an elder. You don't get roped into it. You don't get drafted. Finally, selfless elders, meaning they're not in it for the money, not for sordid gain. They desire to serve, but they're not trying to fleece the flock, so to speak, and pick pockets. So that's an overview. I summarized that more last week, but that leads us to the next and the sixth point is this. Principle of effective church leadership, gentle elders. Gentle elders. And this is getting into the new material, and this is where we stopped last time. And it's found in verse 3. As Peter's giving these instructions, he says this, Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. And he's setting up a contrast here, which we'll see in just a moment. There's a negative and there's a positive. So there's a don't and there's a do. But the negative has to do with the manner in which the elders lead. He says, not lording it over. And it's a very descriptive phrase. Lording it over carries the idea of an abuse and misuse of authority. Someone who is domineering, oppressive, intimidating, a bully, forcing people to comply, asserting authority, and relishing in the fact that they are going to forcefully bring everybody under their rule. Would be the mindset that says, I'm in charge. I'm the authority. You do what I say or else. Now, I think many of us can identify this from our work lives. As most all of you know, I worked in a secular environment longer than I've been a pastor. And I was around a lot of people that did that. They just bullied people into submission. They terrorized people. Their employees might have done what they wanted, but it wasn't with a smile. It was with misery. This type of leader is one who belittles and demeans. They love power. They love authority. They love the position. And they'll do whatever it takes for everybody else to know who's the boss. What's tragic is this. If you've seen that in the workplace, it's miserable. It's not fun. In the church, it's tragic. I remember before I was genuinely saved, Debbie and I visiting a church. Um, 
back in our early days in San Diego, I wasn't genuinely saved, so I went with Debbie to church because she would leave me alone about it for a week or so. <laughs> I had no spiritual pulse. It was just, okay, I, I love Debbie. I want to keep her quiet, so I'll, I'll humor her from time to time and go to church. And I remember she was invited to go to church by, she was in sales, and she had met somebody in sales, so they invited her to church. And I remember, again, I wasn't truly saved, but I remember being at the church and the pastor, small church, maybe even this size, and I left there thinking, this pastor's mean. I mean, he was yelling at people. And I almost felt like he was yelling to impress us, and all it did for me was like, who would come to this church? That's lording it over. I'm not talking about somebody who's passionate, who because of sin is really trying to stress, come to Jesus, be holy. I'm talking about somebody that's just being fleshly and mean. When Peter focuses here on those who would be subjected to that, those allotted to your charge, and there's a lot in this. Because Peter's already noted, this is not anything other than the flock of God. Who allotted the sheep to these under-shepherds called pastors? It was God. And almost a passion, God has given His precious sheep. His Son died for these sheep. He loves the church. He sacrificed for the church. And then you have a taskmaster over the church. God has placed these sheep in these in the hands of the pastors and some were lording it over them. Peter is making it clear an elder can't be a tyrant. That's why I use the word gentle. It's the opposite of lording it over. There's no place in the church for someone who angrily cracks the whip to make God's people jump in line. It's interesting because Jesus used an analogy from the secular world that deals with this very issue at a particular time in the life of his apostles. If you remember, the apostles are really a fascinating story because they lived with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. And yet, at every moment, it seems they were clueless. They didn't understand what's going on. And then at one point, Jesus comes upon them, and they're just arguing about who's the greatest. There's 12 of us, so which one's at the top of the pyramid? And they're arguing with each other. If you remember, at a different time, James and John even sent their mom. The other guys had to make fun of them. You sent your mom? What's going on here? But Jesus dealt with it this way. Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 25. I'll read through verse 28. It says this, But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. That's what the Gentiles do. That's what unbelievers do. Verse 26. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
Peter is making clear, pastors, elders, those who have been allotted some of the Lord's precious sheep are not to lead like the world leads. Again, I I keep going back to the secular world in part because I see it, the analogy in the secular world, and tonight I'm going to be talking about text that I taught on years ago here from 1 Peter chapter 2 and masters and servants in the workplace but when I was a lawyer I practiced employment law I represented management I represented those Gentiles lording it over people and one of the things that I did I I did a lot of investigations I did a lot of meetings that was the nature of what I did I always said to people if you saw me it was a bad day because I was never somebody bringing good news I never got to do fun things as a lawyer. When I was there, somebody was going to be in trouble. But I could tell very quickly when I would walk into an environment, you could see in the eyes of the employees when you had a bad boss. Because everybody was terrified. They were walking on eggshells. It's a side note. You can also see it in wives. That's another story at another time. But you could see it. You you knew when people were being oppressed. And sadly, that can creep into the heart of an elder. It is challenging as a pastor when you plead with people to change and you show them from the Word of God you have to change and it goes in one ear and out the other. Or when multiple pastors, multiple elders go to someone and they plead with them, stop what is self-destructive. Don't do it. And they do it anyway. It's challenging when you teach on doctrine and truth and then you hear a church member that you know heard the teaching espousing something completely different. It's challenging when you pour your life into ministry and you're trying to serve following the example of Jesus and not all the people are appreciative. In fact, some are just going to point out what you didn't do. All those things can happen in the heart. And yet what Peter knows is that the only response of an elder has to be godly. An elder can't lash out. Even when people are exasperating, even when they're not following the clear teaching of the Word of God, a pastor has no excuse for blowing up in anger. We can't board it over. You. God brought you to Lakeside. You're His sheep, not our sheep. We can't respond to disobedience with fleshly dominating behavior. Doesn't mean we're weak. doesn't mean we can start tickling ears just to make everybody happy. It doesn't mean 
that we can ignore sin, we can't turn a blind eye to disobedience, but when we see it, we still have to do things in a gentle manner. There's a particular text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that summarizes a lot of the Christian life of how we deal with one another. And it has applicability to all of us of how we would deal with brothers and sisters in Christ. But early on, when somebody pointed this out to me, I realized this has a lot to do with being pastor as well. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Somebody that can do that, that's going to be a gentle elder. That's not lording it over. But I've been in Christian environments where unintentionally this verse was distorted such that what played out in practice was this. As brethren, they would admonish the unruly. And they would admonish the faint-hearted. And they would admonish the weak. And they were impatient with everyone. Because they were just angry. Pray for us as pastors. Pray for your elders. Again, if you were in the first service and you heard what was announced, there's a lot of hours that went into that to try and avoid that circumstance. It's easy to get exasperated and frustrated. Pray for us. Pray that we would walk by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we're walking that way, we won't be lording it over you. Again, don't confuse self-control with weakness. I think there have been times where some people, I know particularly in marriage counseling, where... One spouse wanted me to yell at the other spouse. I just don't do that. Because I have to fight the temptation of my heart. If somebody complies because they're afraid of me, I've not done anything. All I've done is lorded it over them and become a tyrant. So, that principle is that you should have gentle elders, not lording it over. So how should an elder lead? That's at the next part of the verse. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So the seventh point I've listed as faithful elders. Faithful elders. But proving to be examples to the flock. I think in my mind this is the crux of leadership. As your elders, our lives are supposed to be worthy of you... Simply looking at us and doing what we do. That's hard. Because I know a lot of times I'm not where I need to be. It's hard for all of us because your 12 elders would tell you we all still sin. We don't want to. We hate it. But we do. We're human. We're not perfect examples. But no one besides Christ is a perfect example. Nonetheless, we're supposed 
to be enough like Christ so that we could say to you what Paul says to the church in 1 Corinthians 11.1. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Again, what Peter calls the elders to do is not anything new. It's interesting because when Paul was giving instruction to church planners, Timothy and Titus, each of them serving in the role of elders, and each of them was going to be responsible for appointing more elders, he made clear the same thing Peter is saying. And when you see something like this repeated over and over in Scripture, you know God wants us to get it. And I think when Peter says, be examples to the flock, Paul's illumination of these points really adds some descriptive help to what Peter means. So for example, in 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul tells Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. In other words, this is what a Christian is in every aspect of your life. How you talk, how you live. He elaborated a little bit more to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. In all things, show yourselves to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. It seems clear from Scripture that Christian life is about following patterns, about following others. We see godliness. Godliness is explained to us in the Word. We see it lived out. We follow in the example. That's what we as elders are supposed to do. We're not supposed to force your compliance. We're supposed to model obedience such that you follow us. All of life is lived out this way. It plays out for us and our marriages, for those of us who are married. What do we model for our kids? It seems clear kids learn a lot by watching you can say one thing, but they're watching what you do. Plays out in every area of our life. When we are doing good deeds, when we're being an example as elders, we are helping you follow Christ. There's an aspect of being an elder that is very challenging as many aspects. But one of the most challenging parts is we live in a fishbowl. I don't literally live in a fishbowl. I keep a curtain shut in my house. I can't look through the front window. But my life is on display. My wife is on display. Obviously, I've got two daughters who are married. They're living adult lives, but they came here as young girls. And biblically, how... I deal with my family qualifies me or disqualifies me from being a pastor. 
I live in a fishbowl, so does every other elder, but that's by God's design. That's how we're an example. I can tell you it gets tiring. It is stressful. There's aspects of it at times that I don't like the extra expectations and pressure it puts on my wife and kids, often because of my pride and me putting the expectations on them, not anything you do. But that's God's calling on the life of an elder. We don't lord it over. We live as examples. Again, I know I've not always set a good example in every area of my life. I strive for that. Adding to the difficulties, I'm a very private person. Apart from Christ, my life would look very different. Because I can easily withdraw into my own world and be content. It's just the nature of how I'm wired. I've often said that if I wasn't born again, I'd be content to live with Debbie on an island and nobody else. It's just the nature of how I've always been wired. I don't thrive on human interaction, although I've never had a job that didn't require constant human interaction. But here's the point. I have to come out of my comfort zone as being a pastor. I try and be more vulnerable with you than I ever would be apart from this. Not because I want anything to be about me, but because you need to know what's going on in my life. I can't be an example if I'm hiding from you. Your pastors try. We try and be amongst you. That's why most pastors, for example, Rig is one of our elders. That's why he's in this class. To rub elbows together so that we can live life with you. Again, it's one of the reasons two weeks ago where I spent time sharing about my family. I need your prayers, but also I want you to know me. If we do this well, and we're always striving to do better, it will help you be holy as God is holy. Our desire is for you to be more godly. And our prayer as elders would be that from following our example, you would become examples to others. In 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul was saying some things very commendable to the church. But it's that idea of imitation, patterns, examples. Beginning at verse 6, he says, You, the church in general also became imitators of us and of the Lord. That's the pattern. The elders are trying to follow Christ. You're trying to follow the elders. Paul says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. This simple phrase by Peter that we don't lord it over but we're examples to the flock is designed to have an exponential impact to the extent with all of our imperfections we model Christ and you see our example and you model us other believers will see you and they'll follow Christ and you can see how the church works together to increase the holiness of all the sheep 
I read a great quote from a commentator as I was going through this. I was doing this on Friday. I was going through it. And the imagery was what was there. The, the commentator that I... He's written a commentary on something. His name's D. Edmund Heber. It's great commentaries. A lot of insight. But he says this. And he says, As spiritual shepherds, they were to lead, not drive. And what's so descriptive is you just picture a herd of animals. In the one case, the leader is ahead of them and the animals are following. That's the model. In the other, the animals are huddled together and the person's behind them, driving them, driving them. It's a beautiful picture of the difference between leading by example or lording it over. Our goal is that we wouldn't be cracking the whip. Do you see that in us, lovingly? Ask us to consider it. Sometimes it seems like we're cracking the whip when we're not, and we have to confront sin. But the reality is, we shouldn't scare you to death to do what we want. My hope for me, and the hope for all the elders, is we could say to you, be imitators of us, as we imitate Christ. That leads to the eighth and final point. I actually had seven points before I added this as I was going through the material on Friday. The eighth principle of effective leadership is this. Patient elders. Patient elders. Peter says all these things in verse 3, and then he sort of puts the carrot out there for the elder. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now from this, the word patience might not jump out at you, but but I think you'll see what's here. Now first, Peter is referencing something that still has not occurred. He wrote this 2,000 years ago. He's talking about when the chief shepherd appears, and what he's talking about is Jesus' second coming. We know it's Jesus. He calls him the chief shepherd because Jesus is often referred to as the shepherd. It's the only place where he's called the chief shepherd. That's just Peter's language. But Jesus referred to himself as a shepherd. John 10:11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So that's Jesus' imagery, and Peter's, you might imagine, being somebody that followed Jesus, heard Jesus say those things, has already alluded to Jesus this way. First Peter chapter 2, verse 25, he said, For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. The writer of Hebrews used this same imagery in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. So so when Peter is referencing the chief shepherd, it's clear he's talking about Jesus. But he's really pointing out a contrast and a reminder to the elders that their authority is delegated 
And in a sense, one day they'll give an account. We're called to shepherd the flock of God, but it's a reminder that there's a chief shepherd. We're under shepherds. We're doing the work. We're hands and feet. But all the sheep are actually Jesus. All the under shepherds are accountable to Him. And that's a sobering reminder for anybody imagine if they're tempted to lord it over the flock. Oh, by the way, the chief shepherd's coming back to check. So when the chief shepherd appears, he's, again, he's referring to Jesus' second coming. That future day when he returns to the earth, he'll establish his rule and reign. And Peter's referencing this future point. And he's saying to the elders of his day, and he's saying even to this day, if you've done all these things, if you've shepherded the flock of God with the right heart attitude, with the right motives, and you've been gentle, and you've been an example, and you haven't been lording it over, if you've been doing the right thing, then this, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When Jesus returns, every elder of a local church who has faithfully served the sheep will receive a special designation. And the idea is that this crown will be received and an honor will be bestowed and that honor won't be taken away. Of course, it never eclipses the chief shepherd. All eyes will be on Jesus, but there will be a designation for those faithful saints who served as elders. And the idea of this word unfading, it's actually a word from a plant at the time that I never heard of, that apparently had the, uh, the reputation that it never faded, which of course is not true, it was alive and died, but, but that was the imagery. So when they use this word, the idea is of something that continues on. So what Peter is saying is that if as an elder you do all of these things, one day when the chief shepherd returns, you're going to receive honor. You're going to receive notice. And this is why patience is needed. Because if I ask you, when will Jesus return? We don't know. We don't know. Think about, I'm living now. I'm 50. I'll be 54 next month. What year are we? 2020? So, a couple of thousand years, countless pastors, countless elders who would have read this, and they're still waiting for Christ to return. Here's the point. As an elder, as a pastor... The reward for what you do isn't necessarily going to occur while you're here. Again, we're not in it for financial rewards. That's already been a caution. But it's possible to be faithful as a pastor and never be acknowledged for what you're doing. Yeah. That's why an elder has to have patience. An elder has to see the long view. 
one of my favorite TV shows is The Andy Griffith Show. If you remember Barney Fife, one of my favorite TV characters of all time, and a couple of different episodes where Barney would talk about something that he did all this effort, and he says, what do I get? Heartache! It's like, yeah, that's Barney Fife theology is a good description sometimes of being a pastor. It describes a lot of pastor ministry. I'm blessed to be at Lakeside. Things are different here. Have I had heartache? Of course not. But I have friends who serve in churches that were much more difficult. If a pastor serves because he wants a pat on the back or rewards now, there's going to be a lot of heartache, a lot of disappointment. Don't get me wrong, being a pastor is not a jail sentence. There are rewards now. But a faithful pastor needs to have patience to understand that the ultimate person that you're doing this for isn't even the sheep, it's for Christ. And it's Christ who will one day give the true reward for faithfulness. The real honor and reward doesn't come now. It awaits another day when a pastor may hear words along the line of what Jesus said in Matthew 25-23, His Master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your Master. The elders have to have patience. Because it requires the chief shepherd to return to get the full value of faithful service. So, I hope through both the review and this week you get a better feel for what you can expect from the elders of Lakeside. Do we fall short? Painfully Are we perfect examples? Sadly, no. But this is God's call for us. And you really can hold us accountable for this. And at the end of the day, your elders want to be faithful to what God's called us to do. You're not our sheep. You're the Lord's sheep. And we want to take care of you accordingly. So next week we're going to continue our study. And interestingly enough, one of the things next week is that you have to submit to the elders. But you know what you're supposed to submit to. Um, so, pray that we will continue through this. I was looking over the text... And these are the kind of famous last words that I'm... But I think I've got about three or four more lessons in here. And then we'll be done. I think four was what I looked at. I hope that's the case. I've said that before and then did 12 messages. But I don't think I'm going to do 12 messages. I think that I may be able to finish this by the end of the year. So I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, this is the way to guarantee that I get sick or something else. I don't believe in Jameson, but um, I don't want to jinx myself so to speak I'm looking forward to finishing it up and then we'll get started with our next study so thank you let me close this in prayer dear Heavenly Father we thank you for your word Lord I thank you that you've allowed me to be one of the pastors here at Lakeside Lord it's such a privilege and such an honor and I thank you Lord for 
being so gracious to the elders at Lakeside by giving us such good sheep. Lord, I know horror stories and I know ordeals that pastors have suffered. And Lord, I look at my almost 14 years at Lakeside and we've been blessed. Lord, you have called to this small church a special people. And I thank you for the sheep that you've allotted to our charge here at Lakeside. Lord, I pray for all of the elders to be faithful. Lord, help us to shepherd the flock that you've allotted to us at Lakeside. Help us to be humble examples not lording it over your people, Lord, but leading by example. I thank you for the privilege of being a pastor here, and I pray, Lord, that as we continue to serve you, you will help us as elders imitate Christ. And you'll help the sheep here at Lakeside imitate us. And our testimony will be such that other believers will look at us and say, we want to be like those Believers at Lakeside. Lord, in all of this, it's not for our sake, but it's for your glory. And we ask all of this in your name. Amen.